This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Still all about Ukraine. On this episode, one story, two angles. First, Russia says it's leaving Kherson, but Ukraine is not buying it. That looks like a trap. Yevhenia Kravchuk, a member of Ukraine's parliament. That's why we listen to our Minister of Defense, not Russians. And angle number two, what happens after Ukraine? Tuli Dinetin, Undersecretary for Defense Policy at Ukraine's Ministry of Defense. For President Putin, the objective of this ongoing war in Ukraine was since the beginning uh, to remove uh, the Ukrainian government from the power. This is only the first step in in his uh, strategic objectives. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The war in Ukraine is continuing. Russia said yesterday it's going to pull out of a key city in the south of Ukraine, Kherson. But Ukraine's not buying it. Earlier today, we had a conversation with Evgenia Kravchuk. She is a member of parliament from Ukraine. And here's what we talked about. We have Yevhenia Kravchuk, a member of Ukraine's parliament with us. And she's in Washington, D.C. today. And we'll get into that in a minute. But first, uh, uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, what's the latest on the situation in Ukraine? Uh, well, right now, uh, we are having counterattack in the south of uh, the region, uh, in Kherson region. One of the uh, key uh, cities, well, small cities. Snehurivka is already uh, recaptured by Ukrainian armed forces. So the next would be uh, actually Kherson and Chernobyevka, which is close to Kherson. I cannot tell uh, the, the, the dates, you know, of the um, complete um, counterattack, but our armed forces are working on that right now. And of course, the uh, rest of Ukraine, especially central parts, still have to uh, to suffer from these blackouts that we need to, to do ourselves to balance the uh, energy system. Speaking of the blackouts and the cause for them have mostly been drones and other types of missile strikes from the Russian military. Are, are you still having those in Kyiv and other cities around away from the south and the east? Are those strikes and those attacks still taking place? Uh, they are taking place. Uh, we have been very successful in our air defense system. 
uh, especially for, to protect uh, central regions, because actually Russians are aiming to knock out, you know, Kiev as the capital and to cause the humanitarian catastrophe. We have around 3 million people living in Kiev. Uh, mostly they live in residential apartments and when there is blackout, you don't have anything, basically. Um, so uh, uh, we have already uh, uh, deployed um, a new air defense system from Germany, IRIS-T, and also NASAMS. Finally, they arrived from the States. Uh, but still, the strategy um, of Russians are to uh, have this massive attack and trying to, um, you know, at least one or two hitting the target. So they would send, I don't know, 50 missiles, uh, 46 of them would be taken down, uh, but some of them would hit uh, the, the uh, energy infrastructure. Um, and uh, it looks like that Russians are running out of supplies. That's why they're uh, they're trying to buy uh, missiles, not just drones, but missiles from Iran. Uh, so basically, they have to save, uh, to, to bring, you know, missiles from different parts of the country to have this massive attack. That's why they happen like once a week or something, you know, once per 10 days. They have to, you know, cope and, and, and then uh, fight them. Um, um, and of course, uh, we're getting into colder season. Um, it will get colder uh, with every day. And I think that they will be trying to do it during the winter as well to cause uh, as many humanitarian catastrophes as they can. MP Kravchuk, um, one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about in the last few days are reports that Russia's leaving Kherson. Um, the Ministry of Defense from Russia went on television, I think it was yesterday, state-run TV, saying that they were going to pull out of Kherson. Do you believe that? Um, that looks like a trap. Uh, that's why we listen to our Minister of Defense, not Russian. And uh, we are working on the counterattack in the South, but it will happen in the date when our military see that uh, it's, you know, the fastest way um, it will not cost as many lives of our soldiers as Russians would like it to do. Um, and um, why we have been waiting until, you know, November so long? Because all these months we've been cutting off supply chains and also targeting the stocks. Uh, so the troops, uh, Russian troops that are deployed in Kherson region uh, will not have, you know, enough of ammo to uh, to shot to, to to our soldiers so basically thanks to high Marses, this counterattack actually is taking place because we've been able to target very precisely uh, bridges in through which they bring the supplies uh, there's talks and also uh, we know because we have a lot of um, you know our people uh, are there and uh, th th there are um, that's tending us basically coordinates uh, where the troops are located or, uh, you know, the officers are, uh, you know, in what hotel these officers live or it, where they go to, uh, to, to, to have dinner. Uh, so basically, Russian soldiers are living in this constant stress, you know, waiting, uh, not knowing from where the missile will come. Um, so uh, we're working on, on different directions uh, to make that happen. And um, we hope that 
we will be able to free this region by the end of the year, as our head of intelligence service uh, told. Um, but it, 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 it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, like, okay, we're out. The Russians say we're out. We don't believe that. We have the information on the ground that they are trying actually to lure us to have this combat in the city. Yeah, you know, um, I spoke with um, the Pentagon yesterday, the Secretary of Defense spokesman yesterday, and he said as well that they haven't seen any um, evidence that Russia is pulling out of this area. And I know that Mr. Podoliak said yesterday as well, um, Ukraine's plan, as you said, is to um, make intelligence-based decisions and not um, staged television events. Um, so it does seem like a trap. Qu question, do you think Russia thinks that Ukraine, the Ukrainian government or military, would fall for something like that? What, what's the purpose of even doing that? Um, maybe, I don't know, it's some sort of wishful thinking. They, they, they have this uh, simple strategy that looks like good for, for them, but, uh, you know, it, 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 we're not buying. Uh, anything that they wanted uh, to sell us. Uh, but anyway, you know, our aim uh, at the end of the day is, of course, to deoccupy this region, but uh, it will go through our plan, not Russian plan. Mm. So you're in Washington, and um, uh, it's interesting that you're here, but we're not in the same place. And that's obviously because you're very busy and there are things happening on this end as well. But um, what was the reason for coming to Washington this time? Um, I'm part of uh, observation mission from Parliamentary Assembly of OCE, it's Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And the United States is the part of this organization. So when elections happen in the United States, uh, members of parliament from other countries come to observe. Um, so actually I observed um, on, on Tuesday in Washington, D.C. and in Virginia. Um, I would say that uh, uh, American elect uh, electoral system is quite different. And of course, it differs from state to state. Um, and I would say, you know, part of what I saw is illegal, for example, in Ukraine. Like you cannot have any party representatives near the poll station, uh, especially uh, trying to, to give up the sample ballot, you know. Uh, uh, and also, I was surprised, I mean, in D.C. you don't have to show ID to get the ballot, which is uh, uh, quite strange. Uh, but uh, they would just ask you for, for name and then, you know, the address where you live. But in Virginia, it's different. You need to show the ID and, um, you know. But it was interesting. I think it was well organized. Uh, all the people that worked on the polling stations, they uh, looked, they, they, they know what, what to do. And um, they were very cooperative and and actually the whole process was quite simple um i don't know i cannot compare to the states uh, where this you know toss or leaning uh, um, uh, districts uh, where the campaign was um, you know on high emotions <laughs> um because on the districts that we were observing it was quite predictable yeah you know it's interesting what, what you say about the orderly process, you know, where you observed was, but there there were some 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 places around the country where things weren't as as orderly as they should be. But, you know, that can happen anywhere at any time. 
Uh, so oh, and by the is... way, not not all of the states uh, uh, they welcome uh, international observers. So we could observe only in those states that let us in, uh, and you would have seventeen or eighteen states around the country that uh, say no, we're not letting international observers to observe. Yeah, that that that's a part of what I'm getting at here. Um, there there are those states that think differently about democracy. Um, you know, there's been a, as well a lot of concern about Russian meddling or uh, outside meddling and interference in elections here in the U.S. Um, from some of the people that you were able to talk to, not necessarily uh, members of Congress or your counterparts, but just anybody in general, did you get any sense here that people are concerned about the electoral process here in the U.S.? Um, actually, we had some briefings with uh, representatives of uh, your Central Electoral Commission um, and, uh, you know, those bodies that oversee the elections in the U.S. on the federal uh, level. And we actually, we talked about this possible interference uh, from Russia, but it looks like, again, wishful thinking. Uh, I think that United States made a lot of conclusions after 2016. Uh, elections and you know and other elections. Um, also, uh, I see that in some social media, um, some people actually that were banned or before or um, that they they you know were accused of of uh, providing this Russian narratives. They appeared again, um, but I don't think it's you know it's huge influence. Uh, it it also looks like that. Russians want to be to look scary, but at the end of the day, uh, they're not capable of, um, you know, of, of doing something solid. Um, but I, I still, you know, cybersecurity is very essential. And as well, um, it, it's very important to understand that um, all of uh, a very, uh, um, like one candidate, which very extreme, like extreme right, and he would say something that, uh, you know, we're not going to help Ukraine at all. It appears in Russian propaganda like five minutes later. So they have been using um, the freedom of speech, basically, this freedom of speech, you know, you, you, you're free to elect whoever, you know, <laughs> who is binding to legal, uh, uh, you know, uh, that he's, or he or she is uh, capable to to run, uh, but basically Russians are trying to use in their own propaganda something that they hear uh, in the campaign uh, in the United States, or uh, they try to to put it in such light that it's you know favorable uh, for them. But um, I, I think at the end of the day, democracy won <laughs> on Tuesday eight. Yeah. And this is the, the the main, you know, answer to, to these uh, attacks and attempts. Yeah. Were you able to have any conversations with your American counterparts, um, you know, people in Congress, the Senate, et cetera, about Ukraine? And if so, what 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 did they tell you? Uh, we didn't have uh, that many meetings with congressmen because uh, obviously they were all on their uh, districts and, you know, constituencies. We had a, a meeting with ben, Senator Ben Cardin, um, and uh, he, he assured that the uh, the support uh, from the Congress will be, uh, you know, ongoing. Um, and, of course, I'm sure that we would have to, um, to come back again, um, you know, after January 3rd to meet new uh, members of Congress that were just elected that probably, um, you know, 
didn't think about uh, about foreign policy too much because uh, they were concentrating on the topics which are, um, you know, about their constituencies, about the states where they live. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that we would need to uh, to speak to them to tell uh, the situation on the ground uh, that's happening in Ukraine. Um, and we really hope that bipartisan support will continue. And it looks like, at least, you know, from what we hear, it will continue. There might be, you know, some discussions in w- which form. Uh, but but still, I, I think that the strategy to have Ukraine win is uh, actually a right one for us and for for America. Because um, I mean, uh, the quicker Ukraine wins, uh, you know, the the faster world will get back to normal, you know, way of uh, of life and you know, economical prosperity and whatever. But uh, without this victory, it will be also always, you know, instability. Uh, and you know, uh, well, I, I, I cannot even imagine that you, you know Ukraine falls. But if it happens, uh, Putin will go to to Baltic states, to Lithuania, to Poland, and that is Article Five. And, and Americans then not would just have to to find to allocate budgets or, or, or give military support. They would have to put boots on the ground because they are bind with this uh, Article Five. So right now, actually, we are fighting. You know, all civilized world are fighting with our hands. So let's just make it faster. Yeah. What are your what are, what are your <clears throat> Baltic uh, counterparts and people in Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, and other 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 parts of the region? What are they saying to you about the current situation? How do they feel about where things stand? Oh. Uh- well, they really understand uh, the situation because uh, they're so close to, to this uh, enemy. And of course, they understand that Ukrainian army is basically the only army in this region, for example, that can not just stand uh, against Russians, but actually be victorious and be counterattacking, you know, have these uh, very successful special operations. So basically, Baltic states and Polish as well are relying on us that we do, you know, our part of the job. And also, um, I think uh, uh, the the voice from Baltic states is very strong, is that uh, peace will not be peace without justice. So besides securing the uh, victory on the battlefield, uh, we need to establish this international tribunal for um, political and military leadership of Russia. We need to uh, to have these all perpetrators uh, and all of them that, that, that committed war crimes to be in the court and to be punished. Because, you know, we cannot just uh, say, okay, we're done. We, we, we reintegrated all the territories. We restored our territorial integrity and they can go away and, and you know, come back to, to all of the international organizations and, and be okay. No. We need uh, to restore our country, to rebuild it, using as well the uh, reparations from Russia or, you know, the frozen assets of the people that are under sanctions. Because I don't think it's fair that only taxpayers of uh, civilized countries have to pay for it. I mean, it, you have billions of, of these assets frozen. We need to find a mechanism. That's another case, you know, how to do it. Um, in, 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 you know, in what court, what is the procedure, uh, what is the list of, of these ruined objects. But we need to, to, to make it happen. One thing I'd like to ask you about that I think is more important 
than anything else. And I haven't asked you this before, and I should have, and but I will now moving forward periodically when we speak. This war is a problem for everyone, but it's a gigantic problem for the children, for young people. How, and I know you have a daughter, you've spoken about her before. How are, how how is she and how are other children in Ukraine reacting and responding to this war, which is moving close to nine months now? Uh, well, half of all of the children, which would make four million, uh, which is the size of the country, and Ireland has four million people, uh, are displaced either internally or externally. So they are either somewhere uh, outside of Ukraine or they had to change the location to go from this you know, cities that are under bombing, like artillery, shelling every day, so they had to relocate. So that's a huge number. And I think that we would need a big problem, a, a big problem. Actually, we do have it now, but it was still sort of on the adrenaline. Uh, but then we'll have to deal with uh, all sort of psychological project, uh, problems. I mean, people, uh, students, the uh, small children, when they went to Poland and, and went to uh, school in Poland, when they hear the um, the truck, the, the fire uh, fighters uh, truck going with this siren that would go under the table because they think that, you know, they felt that the, 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 it's an air raid and you they will be bombed. So it's something, you know, psychological that is in, in, in every person because we'll all have post-traumatic syndrome. I would say millions of people, if not all, because uh, the war had affected every family. Um, and of course, I mean, schooling in Ukraine 2022 is something very special because uh, you are uh, either uh, studying online. Well, thanks God we had COVID. It's, it's, it's funny to say, but, you know, at least our uh, system adjusted to online school. And, and some of the students, they are abroad, but still are uh, studying online in Ukrainian school to, to, to keep up the, the, the program. Uh, those who went to school, my daughter goes to school uh, physically. Uh, so when there is air raid, they had to go to the basement. And, you know, I don't think that anyone would imagine the life of the air, air, years old, that they ac actually can differ the names of the missiles, you know, Kaliber, Kinjal, wow. uh, Iskander, you know, they know all of that names. Um, those children that live closer to the front can differ them by sound so uh it, it's something you know crazy in the 21st century we're speaking about the artificial intelligence climate changes but you know people are literally dying from imperial war in the center of of europe because it is imperial war i cannot you know tell it's absolutely barbaric uh what they do um so um i mean um and of course, the, those uh, children that are displaced, uh, they, they need the humanitarian aid as well. I mean, uh, you, you, everyone that has kids know how kids grow fast. You have to change clothes and, and, and shoes like every six months. Yeah. Um, and or to, to, to get the uh, tablets to, to, for them to, to go uh, online schooling. Uh, but, you know, um, I remember a very good 
a piece of uh, a work, I think it was Deutsche Welle, and they filmed in the center of Kiev after these uh, brutal attacks when people uh, were actually killed on the street in the car. And one of the missiles hit in the center of Kiev, hit um, um, like a, uh, um, you know, this playground. Uh, and the journalist went two days after, um, and kids were playing in this huge hole, you know, there were, uh, there have been kids, you know, they playing on the side where missiles came. Uh, it was, you know, safe because there were no parts already or all of the services worked there. And, uh, and the journalist said, well, asked uh, a boy, I'm 10 years old probably, like, are you afraid? And he answered, um, I'm Ukrainian. Ukrainians are never afraid. <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty apropos because I was just about to ask you how you were doing, but I think you just told me how you're doing. But I'll I'll, I'll ask anyway. Um, how are you uh, holding up in this situation? Um, you know, I think that every person needs uh, to have this light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, for me, it's just uh, what today. What can I do to, to to you know to make it closer, to make the victory closer, to help uh, Ukrainians to survive the winter, you know, the war. Um, and I think that uh, actually everyone is doing something to to bring it cl closer. I mean, some people, as President Zelensky, are doing much more uh, because of you know of, of their position, of their charisma. We, as members of parliaments, can do also you know be advocates. Um, and but we have you know volunteers, teachers are teaching in these bomb shelters. Doctors are um, you know having this uh, the, the 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 birth delivery in in the basements uh, and actually in Kiev we had um, uh, in, 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 in October I think yes in, in October we had the highest rate of marriages so people are still you know living their life because they do not want Russians to steal this life. Yevhenia Kravchuk, member of parliament in Ukraine. The second part of this episode is a brief conversation that I had recently with Tuli Donetin. She's the Undersecretary for Defense Policy at the Estonian Ministry of Defense. What are your thoughts about what's the, what the objective of this war is? For President Putin, the objective of this ongoing war in Ukraine was since the beginning uh, to remove uh, the Ukrainian government from the power and to, uh, to basically to make Ukraine part of uh, imperialistic Russia. Um, but we also think that this is only the first step in, in his uh, strategic uh, objectives. And uh, if we fail today uh, in defending uh, Ukraine, uh, President Putin will uh, reach out and will test uh, Europe's unity also on, uh, on allied countries' territories. So he would like to establish uh, zones of influence of Russia in the uh, eastern part of Europe. Uh, we will face a very long um, controversy between the Euro-Atlantic community and, uh, and uh, Russia. Not only controversy, but uh, probably the um, confrontation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we are really in in this for a very long goal. So we need to be uh, very careful 
what we are doing today and not uh, let happen uh, uh, an even bigger war to to uh, escalate uh, in Europe. But when it comes to the sense of this war, uh, it's quite clear that uh, Mr. Putin has decided to use all means to achieve his goals. He He's not making any choice between the different means that he's uh, using. And right now he's just terrorizing Ukrainian people and uh, trying to break their moral, moral ground and uh, make as much as harm and violence as possible and just to pay for his uh, strategic intents. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely unfortunate that this is something that is happening today in Europe uh, and we need to stay uh, united against this approach. And during the conversation with Dunetin, something that became very clear with every other conversation that I've had with uh, an official from a country that opposes Russia's activities in Ukraine is this question about how you deter Russia from doing this. What is or what are the methods to deter Russia, because nothing has seemed to deter them even since 2007, when Estonia had its confrontation, modern confrontation with Russia. They've continued one way or the other to continue to be aggressive. Are there any ideas on what might be the way to deter Russia today? So I think that uh, when we talk about uh, nature's deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Russia, it has been working so far because uh, Russia has not really tested unity of allied countries uh, in Europe. Um, but of course we need to continue deterrence at our political level, uh, communicating the same uh, key messages that we will all stand for allied uh, countries' freedom. We will defend every inch of allied uh, territory. And so far we have been quite successful in that. But of course this uh, political deterrence needs to be coupled by um, strong military strength. And here there is room to, uh, to make even bigger uh, contributions uh, because um, at the NATO's Madrid summit we all decided that the current uh, deterrence by punishment Pusha is not enough and we need to move forward uh, to defend every uh, country since a possible attack from the day zero and we cannot allow any restoration war to happen in Europe. So here we, uh, what we need to do is uh, to increase the, the presence of the Allied troops uh, on the uh, eastern flank but also from our part, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania, we need to invest more, of course, in our own uh, defence and increase our own military capability. And finally, I would say, of course, we need to be um, economically strong as well, as Russia is using uh, the electricity and car gas uh, to, to blackmail us. And uh, here we need to increase our vigilance and resistance and resilience of our infrastructure and be very careful in order to avoid any sabotage uh, on our own territories or as we have seen uh, what had 
has recently happened in the Baltic Sea region in the Nord Stream uh, against the Nord Stream pipelines. So this is a, one of the ways of the deterrence as well that we need to be more present in our undersea waters as well, uh, monitor what is going, what is happening there, uh, increase our situational awareness and avoid any further diversion acts, acts or sabotage acts, acts as well. Tuli Dunetin is the Undersecretary for Policy Defense at the Estonian Ministry of Defense. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. After almost 10 years of military activity against terrorists in the Sahel region of Africa, France is ending the mission. What does it mean? This is a significant step. Not only has France been there for quite a while, since 2013, it was also really the linchpin for a lot of other uh, international operations. So a lot of the European Union training missions were somehow connected to, attached with, reinforced by the French troops that were on the ground. And Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, Senior Director of the Counter-Extremism Project, says this is not a good thing. It cannot do without military components. I'm sorry, you know, this is still a necessary, as bad as it is and as sad as it is, and as, you know, short-term as these measures are when you just do militarily, but not militarily is also not an option. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. For nine years, a man terrorized women across the D.C. region. The more the victims resisted, the more violent he became. Breaking into homes and raping his victims before killing a brilliant young scientist in 1998. Then he suddenly stops, leaving police with a lot of clues and one unknown subject. I'm Paul Wagner. Join me for Unknown Subject, Season 3 of WTOP's American Nightmare podcast series, available October 4th on all podcast platforms.